everybody. Welcome to the first episode of The Crux of the Matter. I'm excited, Landon. I am too. The Crux of the Matter. Now, that name has an interesting origin after we spent a good week coming up with lots of Week and a half, two weeks. Yeah, definitely. And we fell on this one because Crux is defined as like the essential or pivotal point of an issue quite direct, trying to attack the foundation of an argument or of the matter in general, and not trying to attack the superficial, less important topics that often can get us distracted. Exactly, yeah. And so that was a good name because we had like we had like a bunch that we were like 50-50 on, and like, oh, this one sounds okay and this one doesn't. And, and then we both like, I think you came up with it, and then I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's going to work so well. And somehow it wasn't taken, a very common literary phrase. Quite Interesting indeed. Is it a sign? We'll take it as one. Yeah. The other sign that we're going to notice is that today is our first episode, and today just so happens to be National Podcast Day. It's September 30th, 2022. So Look at that. Last day of the month, and here we are on National Podcast Day. We did not plan that, just to be clear. We planned a lot of this, but we did, we did not plan that to happen. So, What even made you realize that? I literally was just looking on Twitter like today. Wow. I just the Ukraine-Russia stuff going on, and I was like, you know, just doing my normal news scroll, and I went to trending, and it was like, number three, National Podcast Day. I was like, what? Because <laughs> it didn't even show up on my feed at all, but I was like, oh, that's perfect. Surprise. Yeah. And we're here in a great studio room at Carroll College, and they've got us all set up, so yeah, we're ready to roll. Yeah, so, you know, we just wanted to start, um, this can be a place that you guys can, like, come back to, because I... My hope would be it wouldn't just be 35 listeners for 100 episodes. Like, that's about what we're expecting for the first episode. So if you're, like, you know, going and listening and you discover us 40, 50, 100 episodes down the road, you know, you have something to refer back to. So just, you know, for a full introduction, I'm Riley Stansberry. I'm from Spokane, Washington. Um, I've always been, like, very interested in politics and religion probably since I was, like, 7th or 8th grade. And so... Um, you know, my family has always been like very mildly political and pay attention to events and not be like uh, super into them. And obviously, like for many people, um, 2015-16 Trump selection, probably the single most like idiosyncratic election, I guess, in the last very divisive hundred years. Yeah, exactly. It was it was so weird and it was so uh, so world breaking that a real estate you know billionaire came in and somehow won the nomination for one of the two political parties and became the uh, the most powerful person in the world for four years. And so uh, there were a lot of things that were happening in media. Everyone remembers this. Everyone's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But there are a lot of weird things happening in the world and in media. And, oh, he's going to get us into World War Three and that kind of thing. And that, like, sort of started to get me more interested in politics. And one thing, too, is that Later on in high school, when I started caring more about uh, religion and, you know, I'm a Christian, Landon's a Christian, and it's like the most important thing to us. But there's like a there's like a goal that, you know, politics is intertwined with religion. I think religion is obviously more important, but that's where you get values from. And politics is about values in the public square. So like, you know, like religion is you know, what do you want to do with your life? And politics is how do you want society to be? Which has always, the way you answer that question, like you can answer it slightly different ways. Like if you just asked it to a class, it would be, um, 
everyone would give different answers. But if you actually took every single one of those answers seriously and then like expounded it to its last logical possible rational end, you'll get a ton of different looking societies. And so, yeah, yeah that's, that's, true. that's pretty much, um, you know, why I care about this podcast. Landon says we should put on social security number, banking info, and phone <laughs> numbers. <laughs> you know, it might be a benefit to you guys, but <laughs> yeah, thank you, Riley. I'm Landon Connor, a sixth generation Montanan, so definitely have my roots in the big sky state. But what really drove me into thinking about politics more was really growing up in a rural area or thinking that things are handled locally, national level didn't really matter much. But then seeing 2020, the whole COOF pandemic type <laughs> issues that uh, really made it a national topic and then made you wonder, like reading about the history of the U.S., uh, trying to find out really what makes the nation what it is today and to really be able to logically think about those topics I think is important. And in a culture where we're so uh, kind of obsessed with the social media climate and with different media outlets that tell us what to think more often than how to think, even in our education. It's something that really comes back to try to find the logical foundation, which leads us right back into this podcast, the crux of the matter, but to see uh, the development there I think is important and mm -hmm. to be able to critically think about the world around us. And as I always believe how politics is downstream of culture and culture is downstream of religion mm -hmm. and it's all downstream of the family. So exactly really try and yeah. attack those points. And really we love any disagreeers listening to us definitely more than happy to listen to your side of the argument because that's what we're all here for. Yeah. Try logically. Bring it. Don't don't hold back like in your criticisms as long as they're actually about the argument and not about us. <laughs> I know I'm not the most, uh, we're not the most visually appealing people maybe, I don't know, but it's not a video podcast yet. You if you find our voices annoying, then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have a hate mail segment <laughs> at the end in a place where you could send your emails. Oh, but, in today's culture, we'll just modulate our voices. <laughs> <laughs> we should do this whole podcast in auto-tune. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be great? It would be. Just a, have a Justin Bieber-type vocal cords right there. <laughs> so, yeah, Landon's last bit is kind of, it's leading me uh, into, like, pretty much the main point of why we're doing the podcast. Yes, it's partially for fun, um, and it's because we like hanging out with each other. And sure, we're uh, egotistical enough where we want more people to hear our conversations, but really what it boils down to is this. Like, we live in times that are more polarized than any other time in America, at least since the Civil War. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, maybe someone would disagree with, but I'm not really sure. Like, yeah, at least in the last several decades, we can definitely see a hyper-polarization, mm -hmm. I think. Particularly the modern even, era. even the last six, seven years. Like, I don't... That might be one thing that both... Uh, both parties and people of all ideological groups could agree on is that, yeah, we're more polarized than ever. I feel like that's not a controversial point to make. Right. But there's an uptick in people, because of that, there's an uptick of people like having very strong opinions about what they believe and not enough introspection and conversation about why they believe what they believe. And so that conversation is, the mo is probably one of the most, five or six most important conversations you could have in your life. And it needs to be had more often so we can have a, a clear picture of not just things that we need to know practically like teams and factions, but we need to know what's true and what's good and what's beautiful. Those are all important things. And uh, we need to know what we want to get out of our lives and our society and our community. And so what do you want out of life? Philosophy and religion will answer that question. And so we'll devote some episodes to covering philosophy and religion. 
and what do you want out of society, politics and political philosophy, which today is going to be more about, um, that those, those two areas will answer that separate question. So we're here to try and clarify um, the basic vocab, the lexicon that you hear every day. What even is a liberal? What do people mean when they say the libs? Or well, what is a conservative? Yeah, what's a conservative? What are conservative ideals? Yeah, what are, the, what are libertarians? What are, what are other alternatives and factions within the sides, left and right? Some people reject that. We'll get to that <laughs> eventually, like the, the binary um, political compass type thinking and different, even different philosophies about like how politics works and how the factions all align. But regardless of all of that, um, we just clarify all of that for you. We want to clarify the terms of the debate. We want to make history, religion, politics, and philosophy, we want to make that easy enough to digest so that people can make important decisions with their life. So at the end of all that, with all that being said, there are two caveats. We're not the experts. We barely tasted real life. Me, even more so than Landon. Landon is basically an adult. And we're mostly, <laughs> <Not much. laughs> we're, we're mostly giving surface level or intermediate knowledge. We haven't mastered any subject. We're just trying to give you things that can get you thinking about why you believe what you believe. And, uh, and the second caveat is we want to find out what's true. And so you'll often disagree with our very strong opinions at some point during the run of this podcast. It's going to happen. Eventually, you're going to disagree with us. We'll probably disagree with each other, which will probably be the most entertaining parts of the podcast <laughs> for them, maybe not for us. But um, just like as a listener, do your best to stick it out and try to get something out of it because we're trying to make it worthwhile for you. Right. And I think mentioned to those two caveats, uh, just seeing how we're both lifelong learners here, learning more about the topics while we discuss them, mm -hmm. which makes us then more willing to change our opinions when we have a good logical argument presented to us. Mm -hmm. So I think you as a listener has a really unique opportunity to listen to people who clearly are not experts on any topic, just trying to learn more every day mm -hmm. and be willing to discuss those ideas to try to get to the foundation of the matter. Yeah. And so today... What we're going to get into, probably the most basic thing you need to understand, at least if you're an American, I'm going to assume we're not going to have international listeners for the first <laughs> at least 100 episodes. But you're from Malawi? <laughs> we appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. All our listeners in Ukraine and Ghana and Malawi and all the wonderful places of the world. So, But today's, today's going to be about conservatism and progressivism because they're kind of the two main strains of thought within American politics. And so... I'm going to hand it off here to Landon in a second to talk about conservatism. Sounds good. So, yeah, what really makes a conservative? There's, I think, a very interesting uh, division between the Republican Party and the conservative party as of today, especially in the last several years. We've seen a growing uh, or actually a narrowing division between what it means to be conservative and Republican. Often the two will be grouped together. There's a narrowing of the differences. Same as I think a liberal and a Democrat. We often see a progressive and a Democrat. We see a narrowing. We almost group think. And so when we think of the other party as an out group and us as the in group, we often dehumanize them. We place our identity against them. And so really seeing what overlap are between them, what values do they share. And for my segment here, what is a conservative? And so I will turn to Russell Kirk, one of the founders of the conservative mind, along with Edmund Burke. Kirk and Burke. <laughs> That's how you remember Kirk it, and Burke, Kirk right? Kirk and Burke. Yeah, that is how we do it. <laughs> with 10 conservative principles. And this is an, argue, uh, an article by the imaginativeconservative.org. 
And Russell Kirk has an essay on there. It's amazing if you want to delve deeper into like the 10 main uh, kind of overarching themes of what it means to be conservative and to realize why why conservatism is not an ideology. And this is something I think especially our youth has a hard time comprehending because especially in philosophy or different uh, things like that, we think of things as a way of life. So we have Epicureanism, Socratic way of life, Platonism. Those are ways of life. They aren't necessarily ideologies in a way that I'll describe as an ideology is something you're trying to strive towards, but it's not always something you're living as. Versus a way of life is something you're living day by day, like the Stoic way of life aims to live in the present moment, to treat your mortality as something that you should. Uh, Carpe diem, seize the day. Versus an ideology is like, oh, I'm going to become this perfect ideal of a human. That's very ideological in that it's thinking, forward thinking, but it's not always practical in the moment. That's actually a really interesting caveat that I hadn't thought of, like ideological versus way of life. Because probably the reason why people uh, like conflate conservatism with being both of those is because progressivism is both of those. We'll get into that later. But I will. Yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah, so I think mentioning the first tenet of the conservative um, ideals is that the conservative believes that there is an existing enduring, there exists an enduring moral order. And so this is where it says the order is made for man and the man is made for it. That human nature is a constant and moral truths are permanent. Now right here we have a division between progressivism and conservatism, which I won't delve into the other side with Riley getting into it later. Mm-hmm. But I really want to really focus in on human nature as constant. It's something that conservatives will kind of look back on the past and sometimes you can see it as an over-glorification of the past other times, I think it's really just understanding that human knowledge and wisdom over the past thousands of years often tends to lead us to better results as a society than some educated person living in UC Berkeley who has a thought project <laughs> for 10 years. And is like, you know, let's restructure society around this idea because I think it sounds good. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, yeah, people as conservatives, I think, look to the past to recognize the mistakes of our ancestors help guide us towards finding the truth today. And understand that human nature over that time has not evolved in a way that makes us radically different from back then, as I think other Mm -hmm. ideologies might think. Um, And so to know that that is a major tenet of conservatism Mm -hmm. and how you live that as a way of life is that you respect the past while also knowing that the past wasn't perfect and acknowledging that. Yeah. And one thing I would add to that is like um, you talking about like human nature being a constant there are probably some people who will listen and either not have heard that before or um, the person I would like to address here is the person who doesn't believe that. Like, oh, I don't think that's true. I think systems can change people and stuff like that. I, I'll just leave like a question for people to think about. If human nature isn't a constant, what makes it human nature? What makes it unique to humanity that keeps us, you know, what makes us human? That might be a good way to think about it. Yeah, that's a good point is that if we are just ever-changing beings in a universe that's kind of chaotic, then, yeah, there's no reference point. So human nature can't really be called nature, but it's human environment, I think, is another way to put it there. So, mm-hmm. um, And, of course, there's nuance to things. Science will try to say that the old nature versus nurture debate is something <laughs> we won't cover right now, but understand that nature is still at least some part of it. Yeah, we don't have five hours. So. <laughs> and so that kind of covers first and second points. 
Uh, all 10, I'll be diving into deeper, but I think I'll just mention also the fourth point right now before Riley delves into uh, progressivism is that the fourth, conservatives are guided by their principle of prudence. And so again, I'm reading this from the imaginativeconservative.org by a Russell Kirk article called 10 Conservative Principles. And so the fourth is saying that conservatives are all guided by prudence. And so Edmund Burke agrees with Plato that in the statesman, prudence is chief among virtues. Now, this isn't something I might agree with, and I can get into this later, but they believe that logic or prudence or wisdom is always chief among the virtues. Mm-hmm. What it means is that we try to get to the bottom of things logically, not always emotionally. And prudence, if we want to look up the actual definition, according to Webster Dictionary, Prudence is actually Latin from prudentia, meaning seeing ahead, or to be a sage, the sagacity. And so it's the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. Now, this Mm -hmm. is a core, core foundation of conservatism, because it means that you have to be willing to, one, accept responsibility and discipline oneself, to be able to govern oneself by the Mm -hmm. use of reason. And so it's kind of reason above all else, and the ability to really guide oneself outside of a system is another thing, which other ideologies might end up thinking that the system as a whole should be the guide in this more collective ideology and that self-discipline or self-responsibility can kind of come second to the common law or the common good mm. of the group. Dang. Any thoughts on that? That's really good. That's, you know, it is, it is like a, a stereotype, but it's, it's true for a reason that conservatives are supposed to be more self-controlled and liberals or progressives, which are sort of two separate things, mm-hmm. but liberals or progressives are supposed to be more uh, more open to new experiences. And that's like, that's not the binary, what would you call it? Like polar opposites, basically. Kind of in a way, there's some nuance in the practicality of it. Because mm-hmm. I think the big stumbling block of conservatism is when are you willing to be able to make changes that are necessary mm-hmm. for good? And that then goes into a different argument of what is good. But yeah. just seeing from core level, though, conservatives have this mentality and this way of life of living by prudence, living by the reason to govern themselves. Yeah. It's not that conservatives never want to change anything. Mm-hmm. It's that they're going to err on the side of, well, the people who came before us uh, ran a successful society or a somewhat successful society, and so you can't just uproot it. They probably knew what they were doing. They didn't do things for no reason there's this thing that's very common in progressivism, this thought that we're far more advanced than the people that came before us, and that's not true. And the reason it's not true, and I've, I've said this to you a lot of times, and I've said this to a lot of my friends, is that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is inherently accumulatory. Like, mm-hmm. if you're going to look at it, um, if time is the bottom and amount of knowledge, like, if time is the x-axis and the amount of knowledge is the y-axis, it's basically going to be the x equals y equation, just diagonally going like that, because... Knowledge, you knowledge builds. Yeah, the most vast majority of the time, you can't lose knowledge. Like may, maybe one famous thing would be like, wasn't there like some crazy library in Constantinople, like when they uh, when they burned it down? Hundred. So there are very very few specific events where we actually lose knowledge that we don't have anymore. The vast majority of the time, knowledge accrues. Wisdom is an individual to individual. It's different from generation to generation. It's your ability to make. Like you were saying, rational decisions. It's prudence. Right. I think I think 
if Plato's saying that prudence is chief among virtues, maybe wisdom would be a better way to put it, like in the modern lexicon. It's really tough when you're talking about, you know, first century Greek and trying to make that fit in a 21st century bus and pod gate, you know, English. <laughs> yeah, so. English. It is true. And you can see the Latin roots, and I think is also something uh, for all of us to try to remember is what is the Latin root of the words we use so commonly and we don't yeah. understand what they mean? Like prudence, so prudentia. And mm-hmm. it's actually more than just wisdom or more mm-hmm. than just like knowledge, but it's the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot in just one word. Yeah. It often gets overlooked. Yeah, and that's so, not something people would think about. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to move on to progressivism? So yeah, I think why don't you introduce it? Yeah, sure. So progressivism is a little bit, it's harder to pin down than conservatism because progressivism has included tons of movements that don't necessarily, in fact, if some movements that are associated with progressivism were to run into contact with one each other, they would be mutual enemies. They'd be enemies sworn to the death. So communism is, it's technically, it's not the same as progressivism, but in the modern day, we see it align a lot of the time. At least, at least since the 20th century, we've seen communism align a lot of the time with progressive values because there are certain things that progressives look for. There, there are a few core tenets of progressivism um, that sort of, at least in American progressivism, which sort of enters the American lexicon uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it rose out of a few things, mostly out of opposition to some forces that we are seeing in industrial relations, some of which were awful. Right. Like to be granted progressive gilded age capitalism became very a dirty word mm-hmm. in that time yeah definitely and uh so some of its core tenets were like opposition to child labor that'd be really obvious looking at you libertarians bad working conditions government and business corruption uh they're also generally in favor of market constraints and worker consumer protections and uh progressivism originally it, it technically comes from where the modern left came from which is the distinction from the French Revolution, where the left-right distinction comes from, and it came because when they were busy overthrowing Louis the Fourteenth, is that what he is? I think it's the Fourteenth. I can fact check that. Yeah, you might want to fact check me. I'm I'm, I'm going to lead you guys into mis and disinformation, but um, the left-right distinction comes from their Congress in France, where they it was literally just the people coming together and trying to figure out what government they wanted and what they were demanding from the king and. Um, people who wanted different things literally separated into the left and right side of the room, and that's where the distinctions come from. But, you know, for us, the relevant part is America, and where it comes into America, and the first person, uh, do you want to take a guess who the first progressive is who was president of the United States? Ooh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. One before. before. Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson is, like, probably... I, I go back and forth, but I think he's probably the worst president of all time. Like, there are a lot of people, I see this all the time right now, and I just want to, like, nip it in the butt really quick. Like, all these people on social media saying that, oh, Joe Biden's the worst president of all time, and he's even worse than Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was bad. Yes, he was bad. His economy is horrible. He wasn't an awful person focused on the <laughs> destruction of all institutions in the United States. Woodrow Wilson, okay, there, there are a couple things to know about him. One... A dude who was running against him, I, I, I didn't write his name down, and I probably should have, and it will take me too long to find. The, one of the people running against him during one of his presidential runs, he threw in jail. He was very anti—there uh, was, n- was no way he'd be a First Amendment purist. He was in favor of 
definitely many forms of censorship. He was a racist. Like, he literally came in and fired tons of African-Americans in his administration or demoted them. There was even one. Um, the source, by the way, for this is this video. It's really good. It's called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Woodrow Wilson and the Origins of Progressivism. And it's with uh, it's the YouTube channel uh, is Capital Research Center, and it's Tom Woods and Michael Malice, who are both two. One of them is a straight-up anarchist, like a, I guess you would call him like an ANCAP, like an anarchist capitalist, sort of. I don't know if he would approve of that definition. Yeah, that but. is usually a, a very strange mixture. Yes, okay. but it is, it's pretty close to describing him. And then Tom Woods is like, uh, he's definitely just, you know, what we'd call definitely a fiscal libertarian. So, um, but it's a very, very, it's a very good source, and that's where I'm getting this from. And I guess mentioning 1916, Wilson won the re-election over Republican Charles Evan Hughes. Yes, is that Hughes, the name of the guy who oh, was okay. running, who ran his presidential campaign from jail? And uh, so there's this list of Woodrow Wilson's like progressive reforms. One of them, 1913, the Federal Reserve Act. Created a central bank and regulated the financial system. You will find tons mm. of people who want the Federal Reserve to be gone today because it's genuinely just a, a bad institution. And this is the other thing um, that people don't realize about the United States is that it's very much not been the same system. Like, you just have to get that through your head. It was not the same system. Literally, the moment Thomas Jefferson expanded executive power, so it went George Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln changed it again oh, yeah. during the Civil War. Suspension of habeas corpus, right? Exactly. Like you lose your freedoms. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Woodrow Wilson and FDR fundamentally changed how it worked. LBJ and Civil Rights Act. Um, and then I would say it probably didn't have a big change again until Bush I mean, Jr. Even the Bush yeah. 9-11 yeah. Patriot Act. The Patriot so. Act. I, I'm of the opinion that he was a worse president than Obama. Yeah, in modern times, I think there's a lot of arguments both sides. Uh, overall values aligning versus policy, yeah. I think is a good argument that, yeah. or debate, or just general info we could have. But yeah. yeah. And then, so anyway, hopping back to Woodrow Wilson, the worst president of all time, the, uh, the Underwood-Simmons Act, 1913, reestablished a federal income tax and lowered mm -hmm. tariff rates. Um, the Clayton Antitrust Act, 1914, strengthened antitrust laws and prohibited monopolies. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission Act, 1914, created the Federal Trade Commission to investigate unfair business practices and regulate interstate commerce. Uh, one of his only positive achievements, the next one in my opinion, the Keating Owen Child Labor Act, forbid interstate commerce of goods made by child labor. Of course, we still have Chinese products in the United States, so I'm not sure <laughs> if it's only domestic. But the Adamson Act, 1916, established an eight-hour workday for railroad workers. The Volstead Act, 1919, established the prohibition of alcohol. The 19th Amendment, 1920, granted women the right to vote. Um, and there, there's this other thing about him, is that progressivism and Woodrow Wilson, um, there are a lot of things you see today from Woodrow Wilson that, oh, that makes sense. Uh, that's what I would expect from progressives, or I guess you would say Democrats today. There are certain things like being very pro-censorship. That's something fairly common today on the left. Maybe not among elected officials, among some, I would say, but... The weird thing is, to me, our political system lags a little bit behind the ideological because our political system is full of 60- and 70-year-olds, you know? And so they're a little behind the people who are actually driving ideology who are 40, 50 years old, and then the people who are uh, the foot soldiers and activists, so to speak, the teenagers, 20-year-olds, and then the people in between, like, 30-year-olds. Um, 
Yeah. Which, yeah, a little side note. I mean, this is the first congressional term where Gen Zers can run. So that could shake things up. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, are we going to start kind of replacing the older generation? It's going to happen within the next 10 years for sure. But, like, I'm uh, I'm interested to see. Don't we know someone who's running? We sort of. Yeah, we do. For a local, uh, for a state seat. Okay. But not federal. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we might have to have her on the podcast soon. Yeah, she would be she'd be a very good guest. She was like on our floor in our dorm talking to tons of people running for the school Senate here and uh, talking about politics for like hours. But regardless, so the other, I think what's the major idea you take away from all those acts, the presidents uh, progressive? If I were to sum it up, progressivism has one core idea behind it that kind of drives all of it, even though there are tons of contradictory interests within movements, within progressivism, and there are tons of movements that have been associated with progressivism. Um, The ends justify the means would be the best way. And also that we we should permanently move on towards whatever is the the utopian or the greatest society. Progressivism is inherently utopian. There's very, like, I can't even name a strain of progressivism that is not utopian in some way. You're trying to eliminate all, all evil things that happen. Progressivism is also, um, it's usually secular because, you know, most, most like religions that we think of that are predominant in the United States are not utopian. Um, obviously, the biggest would be Christianity, but Judaism and Islam would be probably the next two, and those are not. Yeah. Those are not utopian. So um, the other, there was one big movement in the 20th century. Ah, whoops, touch the microphone. Some technical issues here. Yeah, technical issues. We'll be back with you in a moment. <laughs> and but, now on to a sponsor. No. Yeah. But there was, there was this movement in the 20th century that is often associated with Hitler and why he's a right-winger because he's a fascist government. Fair. He practiced social Darwinism, which is an inherently left-wing movement. There are, there are, you know, um, the other person who is in favor of eugenic policies, who's very famous for it, is FDR, Woodrow Wilson's successor, and uh, someone who kind of studied underneath him. But I, I always forget how many terms uh, Woodrow Wilson and FDR had back to back. But it's got to be because yeah, Wilson had two, FDR had three on four. Yeah, if he hadn't died. So, yeah. yeah, I mean that's five. Five, five and a half ish. Yeah, yeah, five and a half terms of progressivism, right. basically. So it takes twenty years to ruin a nation. Yeah, <laughs> and the and the reason this has been so hard for me to actually follow along with one consistent strain of progressivism is because it changes all the time. Because it's inherently, it's the most important tool for progressivism is change. They're always moving towards whatever is the ideal, which in itself, in a vacuum. That's a noble idea to want to move right. on to the ideal. But, you know, I would say if it's also very focused on institutions and nations. And Woodrow Wilson is one of these people who, um, I, it's, it was either him or his, uh, this person who mentored him at Yale. Regardless, there's, there's a really interesting long backstory behind it that we don't really have time for. <laughs> but um, the idea that nations can also be saved. And so his, his mentor is the one who came up with the phrase, what would Jesus do? You hear that all the time mm. from an American socialist. Right. Yeah, who's, who was a professor back in the, yeah, you think universities just got bad <laughs> within the last 20 years. Buddy, they've, they've been that way for, you know, 120 years. 
that kind of reinforced our idea that human nature is kind of flawed, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but we were, um, but Woodrow Wilson is a very, he's probably the first proponent of this idea that nations can also be saved. And it's not just individuals that can be saved. And so when you start to view individuals the same way, or sorry, you start to view societies and institutions the same way you view individuals, you start to put the individual, you start to put the society over the individual, or you might say the commune over the individual, or whatever, whatever institution it is. Um, so that's like what justifies these very pro-war policies. America is going to save the world. We're going to liberate the world from Germany. During World War One, also ran on a campaign promise to not get us into the war. Proceeded to get us into the war against the advice of his advisors, one of whom resigned. Which another long story. Woodrow Wilson is the worst, awful person. He was also the one that showed the uh, the birth of a nation, KKK, oh, yeah. the first film to be shown that in the White House. Right. So he's awful, but he's also where progressivism enters the lexicon. And so there might be progressives progressives who listen to this and say, "That's not progressivism. That's not what I want to be associated with it." Fine, it's not modern progressivism, but this is another thing. Conservatives, even though um, there's very much this focus on history and tradition, we still have a tendency to view people within the context of their times. Progressivism is always judging everything according to the modern standard. That always. Is, ooh, that's a good point to hit. So, you know, maybe he's not a progressive now, but at the time he was probably the most progressive person alive. And so, progressive is just, it literally just progress, change. That's that's all you can really boil it down to, which is why it's hard to define. But mm -hmm. for now, when we say, if we in later episodes say progressives on the podcast, we're probably just talking about the modern left wing. And it's the part of the modern left wing that is not including classical liberals who used to be somewhat left wing and tons of them are right wing now. Um, so you'd agree progressivism on this scale from the left of more classical liberal to the left You'd say progressivism, especially the modern, is closer to the left. Yes, on the farther the side of the left. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that could possibly be farther left than it would be, um, you know, communism. But it sort of overlaps with it a little bit. We say far extreme socialism yeah. Yeah, into it. Okay, that's, that's an interesting point to reach. And I think what I took away from that is, yeah, really seeing do the ends justify the means? Because if you think of a society as needing improvement where personal individual freedoms and liberties can be removed as a kind of sacrifice mm -hmm. for the common good versus the greater good is another thing that I think I'll hit on in the next segment. Mm -hmm. But to see is where are the lines drawn in knowing what is the best for a society based on the best for the individuals. Because I think coming back to the nation, especially the U.S., it's a government made of the people, by the people, for the people. Mm -hmm. But and it's not the people which is another interesting thing to think about. So that is a very yeah, important part. There's a reason we have the ofs, the fours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ofs, yeah. Words mean things, people. <laughs> Get it down. Well, yeah. <laughs> and also, I highly suggest, yeah, research Woodrow Wilson. Learn about him and see how uh, your beliefs of the U.S. history kind of were shaped after that time, from 1914 to the 1920s. So 1922, I'm guessing, was when... If I think so. Are, yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, the thing with Woodrow Wilson and conservatives now, Michael Malice, who's an anarchist, has this very poignant thing to say, and it's the best criticism of modern conservatism that I've heard, is that modern conservatives have done nothing but to conserve the accomplishments of Woodrow Wilson. 
Oh. Because all those things that we mentioned that are obvious negatives that tons of people on the right and a lot of centrist people um, would agree. Yes, that um, the federal the Federal Reserve Act, the Federal Trade Commission Act, you know, um, there and antitrust and throwing throwing your opponents in jail. Like those four things are probably the things that people would take most issue with. Right. And they try to argue that's for the good of the nation or for longevity. Mm-hmm. And the question is, yeah, FDR during the Great Depression, was it him who got us out of it or was it the war? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. another that's another question historians argue. Yeah, and economists. <laughs> that's another thing that they debate. Did his policies, did the New Deal actually take us out of the Depression or did it make it longer? Which some people, some people would contend that his policies made it worse. Like I think probably the most prominent among them would be Thomas Sowell. Would be the person who says that actually the New Deal made the Great Depression a lot worse. worse. But but regardless, when we talk about progressives and conservatives, hopefully that gives you a little a better idea of what we're talking about. Because you know there are very 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 few times in politics do you hear a word and it actually means what it's supposed to mean. Because people get named by their enemies all the time, and they or they'll name themselves, and it's not really representative of what they actually are. But progressive and conservative, they actually do mean what they say they mean. A progressive is someone who wants progress, who wants to march toward the end of history. That's another term that we'll have to go over at some point Mm. because people throw it around. And conservatives want to conserve what is, uh, what is traditional. And, you know, the things our our fathers and forefathers have passed down to us. Right. Yeah, that is a good uh, kind of summary of those ideals and of the ways of life but to see uh, where i'd kind of disagree with uh, the progressivism is the change kind of you can see the new deal so right uh, now in let's see was it 2021 when they first introduced the green new uh, green so, new yeah. deal and you can see how it all harkens back to fdr as the new deal you can see they have still uh, they still have extremely strong ties to that era because their ideologies compare so similarly. Mm-hmm. And you can see that if it, they truly changed, they'd recognize the failure of those times and maybe it would change the course of things. Mm-hmm. You can see how economic policy is something that has kind of remained the same for progressivists mm-hmm. uh, who have seen, especially during the Gilded Age, the anti-capitalist and yet still trust institutions yeah. of the era. Um, and I think the change also brings up a topic of how do you argue against a party that's constantly shifting? Because it's quite easy to attack conservatives, mm-hmm. huh? Because our policies, I mean, you have 10 main arguments. You can agree mm-hmm. or disagree and then just attack. Mm-hmm. And I think also uh, with progressivism is if you have an ever-changing moral and virtue and kind of goal-seeking mentality, mm-hmm. then, yeah, it's what can you disagree with for the modern era versus what did you disagree with yesterday? Mm-hmm. I think it's something important. And uh, also, where does Republicans and Democrats fit into this? Can you have a mm-hmm. progressive Republican and liberal conservative, mm-hmm. uh, liberal Republican in today's time? Hint, yeah. one of those is much more possible yeah. than the other. But, you know, in my opinion anyway, you might disagree with that. But regardless, like the thing about progressives is, when people think of Democrats, it's pretty much only our generation who think of progressive when they think of Democrat. Everyone who's older than us right. saw Bill Clinton, and they saw, like, Jimmy Carter, if you get old enough. Um, what's his face? <laughs> person before. Before. Uh, 
Carter, Reagan, Bush. So before, that's yeah. Thing. Johnson, Grant, Hayes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland. McKinley, Look at this dude. Look at this dude. Taft, Wilson, <laughs> Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Taft, Wilson. Uh, FDR. I guess mix. Wait. Okay, let me do this again. Lincoln, Johnson, Harrison, <laughs> Hayes, Garfield, Arthur, Cleveland, Harrison, Cleveland, McKinley, Roosevelt, Taft, Wilson, Harding, Coolidge, Hoover, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, yes. Bush. Okay, Clinton. here we go. Here we go. JFK and Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton are not the same kind of Democrat as Woodrow Wilson and FDR and Barack Obama and Joe Biden. I know Joe Biden's supposed to be a moderate. Um, if he was we completely can in control of his administration. Student loan bill. Yeah, we can, we can discuss a ton of things that he's put forward that are not exactly what you would think of from a classical Democrat. He's, the thing about him is that even if he were coherent, he's always been a person who has been shifted with the times. And you can see that his stances within the Democrat Party. He was the one who sponsored the 1994 the crime, bill. crime bill. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So he's he's basically gone whichever way will get him popular. So really, Joe Biden's just a typical politician. I don't have any like particular uh, disrespect for him. Like right. He just does what... He's made a career out of it. Yeah, he's been successful. He's been yeah. he's done good politics. And so the other thing that we want to, like I want to hit on really quick, that we want to like show people from this podcast is that also to recognize like patterns that you see in the media, what, what each side starts saying when a policy comes up. So like mm -hmm. you said, like with the student loan thing, what tons of Republicans immediately said is Joe Biden's bribing his voters <laughs> and losing their mind about it. And that's good it, politics. That's I'd good say. politics. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what I would expect him to do. That's not something I would, you know, terms coming up. That's not something I would waste my time with. He's he's trying to win votes. You know, think of a better strategy. So that's that's another thing. Like you'll you'll recognize patterns better, and you'll be able to see who actually believes what, and it will be a lot better. It'll be a lot easier for you to separate out people who are on each side and like, oh, this person's actually. They're not just. They're not all just right-wingers they're not like every i swear every single right-wing person who gets famous alt-right far-right extremist and they're like the ultra mega i know and it's like they'll say that about ben shapiro who's the most mainstream he's not even like particularly insanely conservative in any area and then they'll say the exact same thing about someone like desantis and they'll say about trump and then they'll say it about matt walsh or michael knowles or Steven Crowder, and those people are all on varying degrees of the spectrum from center to right. Probably. Yeah, and you even look like Joe Manchin versus Joe Biden exactly. versus Bernie Sanders. Versus AOC. Even AOC. even Bernie Sanders and AOC are not exactly the same type of thing. Mm -hmm. So And you can tell AOC doesn't like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the honorable yeah, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yes. <laughs> occasional, occasional cortex. But yeah, so I feel like that was... Uh, Pretty productive. So hopefully, like next week, I don't think we have anything pinned down for what we want to talk about. No, we'll see where the wind blows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we might we might talk about um, Republican and Democrat because those are a little different. But I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of people will understand that pretty well. So I almost want to get into like more alternatives, like even identity. Yeah. I want to get into that. Where are the uh, kind of shifts changing where you now place your identity in a party so strongly that it's hard to convince things of better logic? How parties have become emotion. a religion almost, mm. which is another thing we could talk about, especially, you know, from a, a religious standpoint, being Christians, like how... More like, like a cult. Yeah, yeah, well, what exactly makes a religion? And we can talk about that. And right. what, what makes... Um, like you were saying... What was the thing you said earlier? I don't want to butcher it. You said... I, you said... Idea, 
like ideologies, ideologies versus, versus way of life. ways of life and how political parties have gone from ideologies as carriers for ideologies to ways of life for some people almost and so that's one thing we can talk about so so when you're a friend who's very political you can tell whether they're just being political for the sake of being political or no that's actually a sincere idea and that's what they actually believe you know so that would be one yeah, thing absolutely so you know for you guys at home We'd like you to share this podcast with as many people as possible. We're hoping, because I'm thinking, like, probably 12, 15 people at home who are listening to this. And then we got, like, I don't know, like, maybe 10 people on campus. A few extra campus students who have said, oh, text me when it's up. Yeah. Yeah. And however many you bring from family. So I'm thinking around 35 views on our first (laughs) podcast, which would be, which that would go really well. So you guys are our OGs. Remember Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, remember. You were here first. We appreciate you, G. (laughs) So I guess we want to wrap it up. Um, Yeah, I have eight minutes left, so. Yeah. We're good. So, like, one thing we're going to do is we're going to put up an email for you guys Mm. to send in hate mail because I used to watch the Babylon Bee podcast all the time, and I found it hilarious when they had Ethan Nicole uh, as well as Kyle Mayon on, but they would do hate mail at the end, and that was always funny. But also, like, serious inquiries. Inquir- inquiries? <laughs> it's hard to do. Questions. <laughs> yeah. You're way better at saying cues than me. But, uh, so, we'll give you guys an email for, like, real inquiries and, um, you know, ideas for the show, what you want to see next, like, subjects that you want us to cover, because there will definitely, there's so many things to cover under the umbrella of politics and political philosophy and philosophy in general and then religion and then step away from that so mm-hmm. those four they all bleed together because they're the world of ideas so to speak like plato would say but yeah, um true. they're the form of the matter yeah <laughs> but they're not they're not all the same thing and so it would be it would be very very good for us if you guys could send in some things you want us to talk about it send us hate mail too so let me pull up the email while landon stalls and says something <laughs> yes so <laughs> also the other facet of this podcast is knowing that we are college students who have our schedules here and are interested in reaching out to that demographic as well we think that the next generation will be uh, controlled by the current generation of college students and the younger workers of today so to really persuade you to think critically about the world around you is very important mm-hmm. Hope that you stay around and watch us improve and hope that you improve along with us. Yeah. So the email for everyone who's interested is cruxofthematterpodcast at gmail.com. And that's spelled C-R-U-X. Yep. Crux. Of the matter, two T's, not a D. <laughs> Looking at you, Parker. Uh, cruxofthematterpodcast at gmail.com. So, you know, to wrap it up, I guess to say that uh, today, conservatism and progressivism, this has been the first episode of Crux of the Matter. The first episode of many to come, I hope. Yep. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you then. Mm-hmm.